Well, good morning. Now, I just want to address uh, the penguin in the room. <laughs> if you're a little chilly and you, you need to rub your hands or blow on your hands or smack your legs or whatever it is you need to do, I'm going to come get that hat you have on back there and put that on. I won't be offended by that at all. It's just, I, how many of you woke up this morning, you went to start your car and you turned it, or I have a, a push button, and it just went, what are you talking about? It just, <laughs> just need a little bit of, of warming up. And uh, left from Grand Rapids this morning, and it was literally till Kalamazoo, till my little bun warmer started working, and my heater started working. So it's just cold, but that's all right. You came out today, and I just believe that the Lord, uh, because, you know, we just got up and we said, we're not going to stay in bed this morning. We're going to go, and we're going to be with God's people, and we're going to respond. The Lord is going to pour out just a special blessing into uh, into our heart. And it's just a huge privilege for me to be here. I love your pastor. I think we got a good team going here. I mean, we have them over at North Point. They come over here and intern. They get married. They're sending out in a minute. I mean, we got a good thing going here, <laughs> Pastor Rachel. And uh, I, I don't know. I feel like there's some good combination stuff happening there. And of course, all our North Point students. And so proud of you guys. And just the... the um, you know, this world has a funny way of measuring success, doesn't it? I was talking about this with my kids the other night, and at the end of the day, it really is, and I know we say it all the time, but, you know, saying it and evaluating our lives that way are two different things, but just really loving Jesus and loving the person that's standing in front of us, and boy, y'all do that with excellence, and you do that well, and I'm just crazy, crazy proud of you guys, and privileged to be a little part of your team, a little part of your family and your team. So today, uh, we have, if I understand, all month we've been talking about missions, is that right? All month, that's fantastic. And today I have the opportunity to just hopefully share a little bit uh, about God's heart for reaching this generation and maybe some practical advice for us because I know that when we talk about the global mission of God, it gets overwhelming. We start thinking about 7 billion people, and uh, we think about our own bills and our own kids and our own needs and what's going on in our lives, and we're sort of, how do these, how do these two things meet? We come into worship today, and we worship the Lord, and we just sense His presence and His grace, and it's just an easy pitch for me to be able to say, everybody deserves the opportunity to experience that kind of a sensation of being forgiven, but then we leave this place, and and you go to check your voicemail, and it's the bill collector, and you go home, and there's the, the stack of bills, and you're debating whether you turn up the heat or another notch, because, you know, it, it's real. It costs money. If you're a dad like me, those are the things I say most commonly in my house. Turn off the lights, turn down the heat. You know, the money doesn't grow on trees, and, you know, you only need one piece of toilet paper. <laughs> that's not true. You can use more. No, that's not a rule in our house. You can do that. That one you can use as much as is necessary. But the crazy thing is, is that we have to get our head wrapped around this because this generation, let me tell you, they are insane. They want to do something for Jesus Christ and for the gospel. Uh, I've taken students to Tibet, 16,500 feet elevation, at five degrees in your room at night and only a blanket that has been used by the last 30 or 40 people who have stayed there to cover you with. And they get out and they look over the mountains and the villages and they're like, these people deserve their hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've sat with students who are like, you know, Yemen, war zone, most dangerous place on earth. And they're like, I think God might be calling me. A couple of years ago, we were getting ready to do a trip to Turkey. And two weeks before we were getting ready to leave, the place right next to where we were staying was bombed. I called everybody together and Pam's like, are you going? I'm like, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I'll go anyway. You know, that's just me. I'm like, but I don't know what they want to do. So I call them all together. I'm like, do you guys want to go? You know, you're adults. I'm not going to call your parents and ask you if you need, you guys are adults. These are big people decisions. Do you want to go? The place next door was bombed yesterday. Two weeks, we're going to be there. Do you want to go? And to a person, they're like, absolutely. If we're going to wait for a convenient time to reach this generation for Jesus Christ, we will wait forever. So we have to go. The problem with that is, is if we're going to send, we have to prepare and we have to equip them financially. Those are just real facts on the ground, things that we have to do. But this generation wants to do it. So I've got a vested interest in this. I want to see students graduate and I don't want to see them itinerating for two years and three years waiting to go to the field that God has called them to. I dream of a day where people like you and me, God has blessed us. I love the prayer that we pray, the sort of decree over our, our giving, that God has blessed us so much and so reoriented our priorities that for every person who is called, we're just ready to send as a community of faith as the Assemblies of God. And I think that day absolutely can come. 
Now, I have to tell you, I'll share a little bit of uh, my family story as we move throughout, but I have to tell you that uh, I view myself, when I meet a missionary, I say, I'm just going to tell you, uh, my wife and I, we are missions, is it okay? I don't know if it's okay to say this word. Correct me if it's okay. We are missions floozies. (laughs) And what I mean by that is we don't need a second date. You don't have to whine us. You don't have to dine us. Like, we just believe in you. If you are nuts enough to say that you love Jesus and you're going to give your life and risk your life and risk your family and sell everything and go, if you're in for everything you own, I'm in for 25 bucks a month. So my wife and I, we have just decided that anybody who senses a call to go to the mission field in the Assemblies of God, in the state of Michigan, we can only do so many people, we just believe God's going to equip us to support that individual. So we have had to believe, like some of you have had to believe, that God is going to supernaturally touch our finances because we go to district council each year. It's a big hoo-ha with all the Assemblies of God churches, and they announce all the new missionaries, and Pam and I are going 25, 50, 75, 100. We're, we're, we're like, God bless you, you know, but we just need God's touch on our finances. But I just believe that God is calling us to intentionally, radically orient ourselves around the Great Commission and to do something that is purposeful and intentional. And as I said, the trick is, how do we do that? Because real life meets that. This year, the National Assemblies of God has chosen this theme of above and beyond. And so this morning, I do want to talk about that idea of moving above and beyond, but I want to talk about it in a very specific context. If you do have a Bible, if you can turn with me to uh, 2 Peter, that would be great. We'll be in chapter 3. And um, I love the books of First and Second Peter because they're full of real people who are really living life like you and me. They are a group of people who have been exiled from Rome. That means they've basically been booted. If you can imagine, it was like you and me. Someone showed up today and they said, hey, uh, sorry, change of plans. You can't live in Jackson anymore and you don't have a job and you can't take your house with you and you can't take anything with you but what you can carry. You're going to have to go somewhere else. And uh, the people take off. And these are real people. They're like you and me. They're husbands and wives and they have kids and they're trying to figure out, well, where do we go? You know, where are the jobs? Which is why they ended up kind of where they're at. There was a a good economy there, a growing economy. And they show up and they're trying to make new livings for themselves and they have stress and anxiety and all the things that you and I have. And to me, I love it because in that context, Peter is incredibly pastoral. He tells them that he has incredible empathy for the things that they're going through, that they're being tried like gold and so on and so forth. All this encouraging stuff. But there is one thing that Peter will not let them do. He will not let their concern for their own well-being as individuals take priority over their concern for the world as God's potential people. That's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Where we have to sometimes look at ourselves and say, I might not get everything I want, and even a few things that I feel like I might not need, that God might actually ask me to put those in the scale of his mission and no person can do that for you. No, I can't get up here, Pastor Rachel, nobody, no missionary, no anybody can get up here and tell you. That's something we all have to interact with God with on an individual basis. But I want you to read 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 4, and then verse 8 and 9 very quickly. It says, now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you would remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. I love that. Of course, that's what scoffers do. Those scoffers, they will be scoffing. And they'll follow their own sinful desires. And here's what they'll say. Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have been exactly the same as they are from the beginning of creation. Skip down with me to verses 8 and 9. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. Why? Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance or reach repentance. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this special day. We thank you for your presence. It, it blows my mind. We pick up a microphone and some instruments. We stand and we clap in the cold. And next thing we know, we just sense your presence and your grace flowing over us. Our sins forgiven, our new life that's in our heart just bubbling up inside of us, sensing your grace and your kindness. That blows my mind. And yet life is real and it presses in on us, and sometimes we're tempted to ask why and where are you? And I ask you, Lord, that in the spite of all of that and in the midst of all of that this morning, that you would help us not lose sight of your mission, that you have left us here on this earth for one purpose, that if you really wanted to bless us, you'd take us out of here, but you've left us here, and you've left us here on mission. You've left us here so that this gospel, this good news of you, might be preached to the ends of the earth. So we ask you to help us align with that, Speak to our hearts, we ask in Christ's name. And everybody said? All right, so the question is, so how do we do that? How do we get our perspective moved above and beyond so that our behavior can be changed? Because our behavior will just be impacted by what we truly believe, our perspectives, won't it? And I want to give us three things from uh, this story of the Christians Peter is writing to that I think will help illustrate maybe how we might do that. The first thing that we need to recognize this is that God calls us to a hope that is above the problems of this life. Now, you'll notice in the text that uh, Peter is responding to a question, and the question that they're essentially asking is uh, maybe one that you ask sometimes. Why is life so hard? Anybody ever ask that question? You're just like, for real? You know, just one thing after another seems to pile up. As I mentioned, there are exiles. If you go back and read 1 Peter, it says, there's, and there's all kinds of Bible language, but it basically just means life is hard. It says they're grieved by various trials. It says the passions of the flesh are warring against their souls. That's just a, a Bible way of saying they're having a flesh flash. You ever have one of those days you're just like, sanctification not happening today. They're having lots of those in a row. They are being mocked in the workplace. There are false teachers, and uh, people are abandoning the faith all around them. These people are having a rough go of it. And I don't know about you, but I think they probably had a little bit of the deal like me. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old, and I expected that before I was a Christian, I was not on God's side, and now I'm on God's side, so everything should be amazing. Anyone else suffer from that delusion? And all of a sudden you're a Christian and everything isn't going amazing. And you find out that God's call isn't to a life with no problems, but it is a call to a grace that is above those problems. That helps us walk in a little bit of a different way. But I think they were asking, you know, Jesus, when are you going to come back and get us out of here? We have lost everything. We have given up everything. We have been exiled. I'm going to bed at night literally wondering whether my children will be able to eat tomorrow. Get us out of here. I get it. They were struggling like you and me because their expectations didn't match their experience. The problem with that is that if we believe that Jesus is really fundamentally here to make our experience better, that we will expend every dollar we have and every calendar moment we have to making what we believe Jesus' dream for our life is come true. So every extra dollar we get, we will invest it into buying something that we believe is God's methodology for giving us happiness. As long as we believe that, when, that God really wants to give us the house that's going to be better, not that that's always bad. Again, this is about wrestling between us and God. No legalism here. But as long as we really believe that's the thing, we will spend every dollar and every moment we have investing in that because we believe God is going to bless us with that and that's the thing that's going to make us happy. So it's actually, if we're not careful, a way of sanctifying materialism. Believing that God is going to bless us through that material thing. And that is a fundamental challenge that I think they had and we can have sometimes. But the fact is, and you've probably all figured out, this is not our heaven. You buy a brand new house and it is literally two days before there's a crack in the drywall. I have three boys. They are 10 years old, 13 years old, and 16 years old. Nothing in that house is safe or sacred. Nothing is going to survive. That house has basically just been welcome to the apocalypse is what has happened. It is not going to survive. Nothing is going to be there. But the problem is we just keep living and living and living over this dream. And I believe that. God, God provides. God blesses us. God cares for us. Oswald Chambers used to say that is the fundamental problem sometimes is that God does bless us and we immediately believe then that is God's goal in life. That God, that God is nice to us, and we go, okay, great, that's what God wants to do. He wants to bless me, he wants to take care of me, he wants to provide for me all the time. And God does comfort and God does care, but the, 
real fundamental fact is, is that you and I are here not for leisure, but for labor. That we're not here to find our rest. Our rest is beyond. The call of Jesus then is to move beyond the myth of a perfect life here and to begin to invest in an eternal life there. In fact, if Jesus wanted us all to be happy, he could make us all happy right now. Meteor strike right here on the assembly. Boom. All done. We would be in heaven, no more debt, no more bills, no more anything like that, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more sleeplessness. I could have all the cheesecake I wanted without it affecting my waistline. All of it would be amazing. But instead, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you there where it is imperfect. And the question for us is why? Because the only thing worse than suffering, which all of us are doing as humans, I mean, there's a reason there's the fanfare for the common man. It is tough being human. The only thing worse than suffering is suffering for no purpose. And as a Christian, if we are not deeply tied to the reason we have been left here, we are suffering without a cause. It is the cause that gives meaning and value to the lives that we experience here on earth. We have to move our hopes beyond. The second is God calls us to move our hearts above the priorities of this life. Peter tells them your hopes have to move beyond this earth. Now, I know this is a a giving church. We are all Jesus-loving people. But can we all just admit it is hard to keep our eyes on what is invisible? Can, Can we just admit that? It is a challenge and it's tough. So this isn't by way of rebuke or being negative, but just to say it is a challenge to do. And how do we do it? We have to determine, like theologically and fundamentally, that being comfortable and provided for and pampered and blessed is not the most important thing in life. That is something that we have to come to grips with and we have to wrestle about. I remember my mother, uh, seven years ago, was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she was diagnosed with a mucosal melanoma, which is uh, incredibly challenging. They brought her into the doctor and they said, well, the five-year survival rate for your cancer is zero. No one has ever lived five years. Um, she's cancer-free now, so she didn't listen very well. <laughs> That's a, it's a Dorsey thing. None of us are very good at it. Uh, but the, I, I'll never forget my mom because um, she looked at the, I remember this, she looked at the bill on her treatments. And I mean, any of you, and probably all of us have been touched by cancer. The treatment is like, who can we kill first? You or the cancer, right? I mean, it's horrible. It's, it's tough stuff. And I remember they were treating my mother and uh, she looked at the bill and uh, what was being billed to the insurance company. My mother's a psychologist. And um, she works uh, primarily with people who have been survivors of sexual abuse. And um, I never, for, never forget, I mean, there she is. She has a, they've done this major brain surgery, 16-hour surgery. Uh, she just looks, frankly, like, uh, like something monstrous has happened to her. I mean, her face is just completely destroyed from the surgery at this point. She looked at the bill, and she looked at me, and she said, JP, she said, uh, I, I'm... I've decided I'm never going to charge for uh, counseling again. I'm going to do everything pro bono from here on out. I said, well, why do you want to do that? And I'll never forget that she says, she said, JP, if they're paying this much to keep me alive, I'm giving them their money's worth. Every dollar that God invests in us is an investment in keeping us alive. And the question is like, what is the return on investment from God's perspective? for keeping us here. In fact, I, I would argue, and I, I, I say this to myself, you know, if we are not connected, if we are God's people, God's followers, and we're not connected to the Great Commission, the fact is we're just sucking up resources. We're, we're a drain on what God's trying to accomplish on planet Earth. That, that's a challenge. But it's hard to keep focused. Uh, anybody remember the story, uh, The Secret of Nim, the kid's story? Yeah, one of my favorite movies as a kid. And there's a story in there, there's a character in there, Jeremy the Crow. Jeremy the Crow sits on the, uh, on the little uh, uh, posts and he's supposed to watch so the mice can be rescued because they're getting ready to get milled over in the, with the, uh, from the equipment, the farm equipment. And I'll never forget, he's, their, he's their, their, their only hope, Jeremy the Crow, so he can let them know when the cat's gonna come and when the cat's come, they can quit doing their thing. But Jeremy has a focus problem. And that is that he is attracted to shiny things. He has a collection of shiny things. How many of y'all like shiny things? How many wave your shiny things in the air? Some of you got a few shiny things. That's great. Nothing wrong with that. 
but he's attracted to them. And the problem is, is at every point in the movie where they're getting ready to go, Jeremy needs to be on, on task, but he gets distracted by some shiny thing. So the cat comes along and he's like, ooh, aluminum foil. You know, he just, he can't get away from it. And we are like that as kids, as, as God's kids. My kids, we have a, a 10-year-old, 13-year-old, 16-year-old, they will come down in the morning like, hey, did you make your bed? And you would, it's like they don't even hear what you're saying. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you look at them and you say, did you make your bed? My 10-year-old especially, he's like, um, hey, uh, I have a question. You're like, no, did you make your bed? He's like, well, my question first. So if you run out of Invisible Ink, how do you know? I mean, I'm like, son, I don't know. Like, did you make your bed? And he's like, ah, I, hey, I got a question. Uh, how come we can eat uh, deer and cow, but we can't eat our dog? And you're like, I, I don't know. Did you make your bed? And finally, you just have to, like, grab their little cheeks and look at their face and go, focus, you know, focus with me. And I think sometimes we are like that as the community of faith. We're like, we come into this sacred space, and we're, we're, we're on point. We're on task. Like, we're in the presence of God, but then we get out there like, ooh, shiny, shiny thing. It's amazing. Look at it. And we have to just allow the Holy Spirit to walk around with us, grab our little cheeks and go, focus, focus. It's about the lost. It's about none should perish. It's about to the ends of the earth bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a hard issue, isn't it? I love... Uh, Jesus' statement, and I think it's a challenge for us this morning. It talks about Jesus leaving the 99, and I want to put that in perspective. Uh, if I have my numbers right, Jackson's roughly 33,000 people, is that correct? That's Jackson proper. What's the larger area? 90,000. I'm not going to use that number, so I'll have to do math on the spot, and that would be embarrassing. <laughs> no, I will. I will do it. I think I can do it. So, uh, so 90,000 in the overall sort of Jackson area. Here's, I want to put this in perspective. Now, according to Jesus, he says he will leave the 99 for the one. I want to put that in perspective. So 90,000 people, if 99 out of 100, that means that 98,100, am I right? Who's the math major? Is that 99%? Okay, no one else is a math major here either. Then I'm going to say it with more confidence. 98,100 people show up this morning to the assembly. 99% of the entire community shows up here this morning at the assembly. And first of all, Pastor Rachel's on the front of Charisma Magazine next month. That's the first thing to happen. Book deal. That's going to happen. Um, but we're here worshiping this morning, 98,100 people here, we're worshiping the Lord, and we're just, tears are falling, and we're just like, this is amazing, what God is doing, and the incredible thing about that is 98,100 people here, at some point, while Alyssa is leading worship, Jesus starts looking around, and Jesus is like, wait a minute, 98,098? 98,998,100-shut-the-music-down-shut-the-music-down-there-are-900-people-who-are-not-here-that-blows-my-mind-that-right-now-if-we-look-around-the-world-we-have-in-China-we-have-30- separate groups of people who do not speak normal Mandarin Chinese, who have no text in their language, who have no evangelist. I just got, I just got back from Tibet a couple of years ago, getting ready to go again this August. We stand there and we can look around and we can see for 2,000 years, not one church. Not one church. That feeling that you and I feel when we're in the presence of God, and you know what it's like. How many sinners do we have in the house? Just me. All right, sweet. I am a sinner, and I know that feeling. I come into the presence of God, and I start singing about the goodness of God, and I get a sight of Jesus, and it's like all my burdens roll away. I know that feeling that when I go to bed at night, you know the feeling I'm talking about, Dad. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you're like, am I doing this thing right? Am I screwing this whole thing up? What's going on? And you cry out to Jesus, and you know that he hears you. Mom, that feeling that you're going, am I screwing my kids up? Am I doing this all wrong? I don't know. Do I vaccinate? Do I not vaccinate? Do I eat? You know, I don't know what to do. And you don't know what you're doing. You cry out to God, and God gives you that grace and that peace. They don't even have, they don't have access to that. They just have the anxiety. They just have the depression. They just have the hopelessness. They don't have the answer to the problem. They just have the guilt. They just have the shame. They just have all of it. They don't have the answer. 
for all their money, all their dreams, they couldn't get that feeling that you have. That's crazy. That's crazy. I love that, Solomon. A gluttony of hope. We just wallow in it, don't we? I'm just not a big fan of Bethel. Move on to the next. I mean, we get, we get to choose our avenue of hope. We get to choose a hope that meets our preferences. That's unbelievable. The third is this, and it is simple. We do have to move our investment beyond this life. God can move our hopes and our hearts this morning, but the fact is, if it doesn't result in an actual investment of time, finances, and effort, here's the way passion works. It always evens out to the lowest common denominator. So if we leave here this morning and we say, my passion is hype, it is way up here, and we worship at the end, and you just have this encounter with God, and you ugly cry about little kids who don't know Jesus and people that are lost, what will happen is if your investment does not rise to the level of your passion, over the next couple of weeks, your passion will go down to your level of investment. They will never be on unequal footing. In fact, Scripture teaches this. Jesus says, I think he's authoritative. (laughs) He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Your passion will follow your heart, your investment. In fact, here's the way I feel about it. You need to intentionally put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Say, well, I I don't feel that for missions. I wish I did. Give more. I guarantee you, you give till it hurts. You'll be thinking about it more, and God will work something in your heart. (laughs) You put, you think about it, that your money or your time or your prayers, that is a down payment on where you want your heart to be. I always tell people, chuck your wallet. Your heart is tied to your wallet. I won't do it to you this morning. Have any of you done the little experiment where we pass our wallets around in this room? I guarantee you that if I try, we did this in our church. So church, you know, we got 3,000 people there on Sunday morning. We had everybody pull out their wallet and pass it to the person behind them. Now, I can tell you that nobody paid a single bit of attention to what happened next, just listening for the words, now hand the wallet back. That is all they were listening for. Why? Because their heart followed their investment. And I can promise you, if you are investing in the kingdom, your heart will follow. It's just kind of that simple. And Peter is looking at these people who are suffering like you and me, and he's like, look, guys, the fact is, you are suffering, I get it. But if you don't connect to the mission of God, you are suffering without a purpose. You've got to connect to the mission of God. (laughs) You know, when we're in a time like this, There are some people who get uncomfortable, and they think, oh, here we are again. We're in the church, and we're talking about money. First of all, newsflash, everybody wants your money. (laughs) Netflix wants your money. (laughs) Amazon wants your money. Everybody wants your money. But can I just tell you, I've hung out with our missionaries. Um, I know the people who abuse the gospel of Jesus Christ and use it as their own personal ATM. These people are not those people. I know your pastor. This person is not that person. Period. 100%. They're just not. But here's how I feel about it. And you may disagree with me, but here's how I feel about it. I feel like if I were attending a church that never asked for my money, I would leave. Because it is 100% proof positive that they don't actually want to do anything. You and I know, you just common sense, that if we want to get stuff done, it is going to cost investment. If I was in a church where they never talked about money, I'd be like, I'm out of here. Because they don't have enough passion to muster up the guts to give the ask. And just say, let's do it. we got to get, we got to get rid of the elephant in the room. we got to talk about the money. we just got to do it because things have to get done. It doesn't happen for free. I'm just going to be 100% totally honest with you. God wants some of your stuff. There, I said it, happy? God wants some of your stuff. Look, the Assemblies of God is one of the greatest missionary sending agencies in the history of the church. Their legacy is almost unrivaled and there is still more work to do. This is good soil and these are good people and we need to be a part. 
Selena, Countess of Huntington. And if I can have Alyssa and your crew, you guys come back up, that'd be great. Selena, Countess of Huntington, I want to tell you uh, just this very quick story, and I'll wrap. Uh, in the 18th century, uh, anybody ever heard of somebody named John Wesley? George Whitfield, maybe? Do you think I have a big mouth? George Whitfield preached to 30,000 people with no microphone. That's amazing. But uh, Selena Countess of Huntington was uh, a wealthy landowner, and um, her husband had passed away. And uh, she was worth, in modern, in modern terms, she would be close to a billionaire originally. She owned a significant chunk of the country of England in terms of land. And um, during the Great Awakening, she comes under the influence of John Wesley. And I often say, you know, she, she developed a problem. She developed an addiction. John Wesley was her dealer. She just couldn't stop building the kingdom. John Wesley and the Methodist preachers, they've been kicked out of the seminaries because they were Methodists. And she said, that's all right. You guys can come and you can, you can set up a school at my house. Next thing she knows, she has like 200 people living at her house. And the bills keep going. The grocery bills keep going up. You know, everything keeps going up. And then those people start graduating and they need to go and they need to plant churches. And she starts building churches. And she starts paying income and paying for evangelists. And she starts to sell off some of her art collection. Starts to rent off part of the house. She starts to sell off part of the land. I can just imagine John Wesley, like every time just going, I I just hate to ask. Just hate it. I'll never get over this picture. John Wesley's ending the nearing the end of his life, and Selena's nearing the end of her life. John Wesley died with a set of silverware and about eight pounds to his name. Even though he sold, by modern day terms, he had sold a bajillion books. Selena Countess of Huntington was down to living in one room. She'd sold off almost all of her property. There was no art left, was no silverware left was no, there's nothing. So you got one part of the country, John Wesley sitting there with his silverware. Selena Countess of Huntington sitting by her fireplace with one thing left, the wedding ring that her husband had given her. I still remember, it's Cornwall. John Wesley goes to her and he says, Selena, he says, I don't know what to do. Wasn't even asking her. By this time he's like, look, you're broke, I'm broke. We're both getting ready to die. There's one more. You know, there's one more down in Cornwall. The people don't have a gospel church, and there's a person who's willing to go. Would you pray with me, Selena? You know, and I'm not saying this is your call, but you understand what I'm saying? We may not do it the same way as the missionary. We're going to have the same call, but God help us if we don't have the same passion. We may not give like Selena, but God help us if we don't have the same passion. Tears just began to stream down her face. It was almost like this just mountaintop capstone moment for two giants of the faith as she slipped the wedding ring off her finger. She said, I'll not be needing this much longer, John. Take it. Sell it. That blows my mind. You know, It was early on in my wife and I's story that we started thinking about giving. And we're fortunate we came from giving people. I know you are too. We learned there are three ways that you can give. You can give just kind of at the standard level, which is nothing wrong with that. You give out of your surplus. You look at the bills and you say, "Here's, here's what we can afford nothing wrong with that. And in fact, if you haven't before, that's a great place to start. Of course, you might be one of those all-in people and you've never given before and God's going to throw you in the deep end with concrete sneakers on this morning. We'll see what happens. If you're one of those people, you're my tribe. You're my people. I'm a deep end kind of guy. And you can give sacrificially. Some of us, and again, no one can put that on you. We're going to, in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. 
And God may speak to you and he may say, you know that thing, you don't, you don't need that. You say, but I want it. He says, no, sorry. Again, no one can do that for you, but God may. God may say, I want that. I want that from you. And you know what? I have never met someone who responded obediently to that and was sorry about it. Not once, ever in all my life. And then God may ask you to go just full-on supernatural with him. And that's what happened to my wife and I. We were youth pastoring at a small church plant meeting over a liquor store, which is better than under them. And uh, I was making 400 bucks a month. That was it. That was all my income. My rent was 260 a tithe. Somebody say Amen. So now I'm up to 300 bucks. I got 25 bucks a week to buy all the ramen noodles I can afford. And uh, Richard Green, missionary from Bangladesh, comes and uh, he's preaching and, and he's talking to me about the kids and the moms and the dads. And I mean, I'm just, I'm a mess, you know, and I go forward to the altar and we had, you know, the, the, the carpet there and I'm, I'm ugly crying. I'm, I'm, I got stuff coming out of every possible place on my head. Just everything's coming out. And while I'm praying, I just feel like the Lord said, JP, I want you to give. You know that moment when you're in God's presence and you're just like, I'll give you anything. You know you know that moment. I'm in that moment. God's like, I want 25 bucks a week. And I'm like, all right. God, wait a minute. 25 bucks a week. 25 times 4, 260 plus 40. I got no money. I said, all right, God. And I'll never forget that next Sunday. I wrote out my check for $25. I post-dated it. <laughs> like, you might want to wait a couple days just to be careful. And I put that first check in on Sunday. The next Sunday, $25. I'm like, literally, that is my food. That is my food. And I went in the office <laughs> because I couldn't go out for lunch. I just went in the office and, pr- and I was just praying and sitting there reading, apparently on a fast. And uh, I'll never forget this. The phone rings. I answer the phone. And it's the church that I grew up in. And they call me and they said, JP, they said, I I know you never asked us anything like that, but we were in our missions meeting this past Tuesday. And as we were praying, one of the people said they felt like, you know, we support all these people around the world. We We should really be supporting JP. He's a good guy. They didn't know me that well. He's a good guy. <laughs> Loves people. We should be supporting him. And so we prayed and we felt like the Lord wanted us to support you for $200 per month. Like, I'm not going to die. <laughs> I'll never forget. I hung up the phone and honestly, I just crumpled to the floor and tears just covered the floor. And I'm just like, God, you are good. You have got this under control. And so here's what we're going to do in just a second. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I'm a, I'm a nothing up my sleeve kind of guy. Is that cool? I'm just going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. In just a moment, you're going to stand up. We're going to worship. And here's what's going to happen. I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you will give God a moment of your attention, he's going to reveal himself to you in a way that you just worship him. And you know what happens when you get in the presence of God and you want to worship? You know what happens, right? You're standing there, you're worshiping. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts to move in your heart, and bam, one hand goes up. You know what I'm talking about? You're just, you're feeling it. And next thing you know, you're worshiping the Lord, and bam, both hands are up. You're worshiping the Lord, little tears coming down your face. You know the feeling I'm talking about, right? And do you know what the Lord does when that happens? He starts to go through your pockets. And you can feel it happen. And you want to put your hands down, and he says, keep them where you got them. There's a Holy Ghost stick up. Don't touch your calendar. Don't touch your wallet. Keep your hands right where I can see them. Because I want to talk to you about your time and I want to talk to you about your treasure. And here's what I want to double dog dare you to do. In that moment of worship where you've got your hands up, I want you to think about that as an intentional act of taking your hands off of his stuff. And say, God, it's all yours. That's all I'm asking. And God might speak to you and just say, hey, it's time to start today. Let's start out a surplus and standard. Great. 
God might talk to you about something and say, let's go sacrificial. For some of us, God might look at us and say, we're going all in today. I want your food money. Now, please, that's on you, baby. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. You've got to hear from the Lord, but you never know what the Lord will ask you to do. So could you stand with me? I'm going to pray. She's going to lead us in worship, and we're going to do two things. After I get done praying, the uh, prayer team is going to come up, and if you're here and you have a prayer need, something the Lord is talking to you about, or a need that you have, the prayer team is going to be up here, and they'll be happy to pray with you. But as we're worshiping, you've got these cards. You've got your hands lifted up. You're talking to the Lord. You've got your hands off of his stuff. Everybody say his stuff. <laughs> Hurts just to say it, don't it? And the Lord's going to talk to you. And as he does, I want you to fill out this card. And we've got a little basket right up here. And I want you to come and drop that thing in. And say, Lord, I know what you're saying to me to do today. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be obedient. And I'm going to believe. And I know for sure because it's been my story and every person who's ever been faithful. And I haven't always been faithful. And I know I get more joy out of being faithful when God asks me to even sacrifice than I do by keeping his stuff when he asks me to. I know it. And I know it'll be the same for you. So let's pray. And Alyssa's going to lead us. Father, there is so much still to do. And you're not asking us to do it all by ourselves. You're not here to put a burden on us that we can't bear. You're just asking everybody to do their part. So Lord, as we worship you today, we're going to lift up our hands and you're going to do just what you always do. You pour out your spirit into our hearts and you make us feel forgiven and you make us just sense your great love for us. And we are mindful that we are in the minority that get to have that experience, that even have the ability to have that experience. So God, we're giving you free reign today. We know you won't hurt us. We know that you love us, that you have plans to bless us and care for us. So we're going to trust you today. We're going to lift our hands and worship you, and we're going to let you speak to our hearts. And we're going to respond in obedience. We love you, Lord. We trust you, Lord. And we ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen.
give me wisdom Oh, you know just what to do And I will love you, Lord, my strength And I will love you, Lord, my shield And I will love you, Lord, my rock Forever, all my days, I will love you, Lord Sing, I will love, I will love you, Lord, my strength And I will love you, Lord, my shield And I will love you, Lord, my rock Forever, all my days, I will love you, continue to press into him. We still have time, so if you're worried about time, don't be. He's good to so just spend this with him. Um, if he's prompting your heart, just keep going after him. Just take your time with him today. He's good. Oh, thank you, Father, for your presence. Ignite our hearts to save the lost. 
Thank you, Father. <laughs> Thank you, Father. He's good. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, every believer in the house has the kingdom without measure. Often our minds and our hearts aren't really aligned to that, but it's true. God has given his kingdom without measure. And if you've come with a need in the house, maybe it's a need for healing. Maybe it's something entirely different. Maybe it has to do with things that JP spoke about. Maybe it's something completely off that grid. But he's here and he's present now. And the people sitting next to you who are believers... They're carrying his kingdom without measure. So don't leave carrying that burden. He says you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And the people sitting next to you can agree with you. Amen. We should leave this house encouraged. He's good. He's good. Would you just take a minute? you're sitting here and you're still carrying a heavy burden would you take a minute as we finish just in worship and just cast that burden on him maybe there's a believer next to you who can agree with you maybe pray with you, encourage you in fact would you do me a favor would you turn to a person next to you, somebody you did not come to church with in the same vehicle and just say, hey, do you need prayer for anything? I'll pray for you about anything. Would you just turn to somebody near you, someone you didn't come with, and say, hey, do you need prayer? I'll pray with you about anything. Cross over. Look around you. me shall remain. I will rejoice and I will declare that God is my victory and he is here. Amen. Come on, sing all your praise. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare God is my victory and he is here. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he All is of my here. life. All of my life. In every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. All of my life. All of my life. In every season, you are still God. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare. God is my victory and he is here. He's good. He's so good. He's so good to us. 
I know it's cold, although if we're being honest, if this were March and it was 64 degrees, we'd be mowing our lawns in shorts, so. <laughs> but let's let JP's words to us today from the word sink in. I know next week we're going to finish taking up our pledges and then we'll let everyone know. Um, but last year, you guys, man, you guys knock it out of the park. We support all the missionaries and that little green book. And then there's a couple of missions teams, one in Zanzibar and one to the Somali people, that we support at $500 a month on top of the individual missionaries that we support. And so let's see what we can do this year, how we can partner. We have a heart for Jackson. We believe that God wants this city and these surrounding areas. But how many of you know you can't, you can't be too generous with God. You just, you can't be too generous with God. So we're giving in places we may never go. But how many of you know, God's at work with us here. It's not going to limit what we can do here to be generous there. Generosity begets generosity. That's just how it works. That's just how it works. Before you go, would you encourage somebody? I know some of you, um, we are changing our, um, we're bringing a cultural change in that um, this year we'd like to really just bless our parents that have small kids. And so there's about 30 people that are signed up to do nursery on Sundays or 30 or 40, a lot of people. And there's a training after service, 20-minute training in the fellowship hall. Is that right? So um, if you're part of the old team or the new team coming on, how many of you know what a blessing when you have small kids to have so much of the church just want to bless you and and be willing to take a turn and hold your baby and, and keep them safe. So good. So that's happening after church. But whether you're going to that meeting or you're, or you're leaving from here, would you encourage somebody before you go? Hug somebody. Encouragement is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We need more. We need more. Because we have a job to do when we leave this place. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you're visiting, I'll be back by the coffee. I'd love to meet you.